Okay, everyone, it's time to take out our Bibles together. I'd encourage you to take one out and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 18 here in just a second, or verse 15, 15 through 18. Ephesians chapter 5, we'll go verses 15 through 18 today. How many years do you have left? How many years do you have left on this earth? Now, of course, none of us knows the answer. It might be less than a year for any one of us. But let's say you live a decently long life. Psalm 90 verse 10 says the length of our days is 70 years, 80 if we have the strength. And so let's just say for the sake of this thought exercise that you live 80 years long. Some of you might have already lived longer than that. Most of us haven't. Let's say you lived 80 years long. Can you do the math? How much time would you have left? For me, I'm 37, be 43 years left on this earth. Now, for some of us, this creates a sense of urgency. How will we use what little time we have left? You know, they say the reason that men have what's called a midlife crisis is because they get to midlife and they look at their life and they say, is this all that I'm going to accomplish? Is this all that I'm going to do? Is this all that I'm going to leave behind? And then they, you know, buy a Ferrari or a motorcycle or do something worse to their family. But I want you to think about this from a different perspective today, from an eternal perspective. How are we going to use what little time we have left? Now, for some of us, the temptation is to think that you have plenty of time, plenty of time left. Although I assure you, after you have spent thousands of years in eternity, you will not think this life was long in any sense of the word. Thousands of years in eternity in one of two places. Think about the people who have already died and are not in heaven with God. And think about how they would give anything for one day back. Think about how they would give anything for one hour back and they will never get it. We have a little bit of time left on this earth. How will we use it? For us parents, it's often helpful to think, how many years do I have left with my kids in the house? Dads, how many years do we have left with our kids under our influence, so to speak? I don't want to have regrets when they are grown. There's no getting those years back. How will we use the time that we have left here on this earth? Just this past week, a young man named Kahari Willis who was a three-year safety for the Indianapolis Colts, announced his retirement after only three years in the NFL. He's only 26. He's a starter on a, non, on a playoff contending NFL team. He is not injured. He's leaving millions of dollars on the table. Why would he retire? He said, and I quote, I endeavor to devote the remainder of my life to further advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. NFL starter, 
leaving millions on the table. Why? Because he gets it. How are we going to use what little time we have left for the glory of God and the eternal good of others around us? Let's read our text today. Today's sermon is entitled, Don't Waste Your Life. I hope you will see why after we read our text. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit." Now, I want you to see the very first phrase that Paul said there, that very first phrase that he wrote in verse 15, because it's kind of going to be an overarching theme of the whole sermon today. We're going to refer back to it time and time again. Notice how Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, make an effort to look at your life, to watch your step, watch yourself and how you live Think about how you are using the time that you have. Pay careful attention to your life because too much is at stake not to. Too much is at stake to just let life happen, to just passively let it happen around you. Look at your life. Look carefully at your life. How are you going to use the time that you have left? Now notice what Paul says in verse 16. Verse 16, he says, making the best use of the time. Now, the the Greek word here, this was originally written in Greek. The Greek word here for making the best use of is the same word used when we read things like Christ redeemed us by his death. Redeem. That's the same Greek word for redeem as for making the best use of right here. Jesus redeemed us by his blood. Or you could say he purchased us. By his blood, he bought us by his blood. And so the idea here is redeem the time. Redeem your time for God. Buy up or snatch up opportunities to make a difference for God whenever you see them. Look carefully at your life. Watch carefully for opportunities to work for God and for the good of others, and then like a skilled and savvy entrepreneur with lots of money and good business sense, when you see an opportunity, snatch it up. When you see an opportunity to do good, when you see an opportunity to serve someone, when you see an opportunity to speak to someone about Christ, when you see an opportunity to grow in your own faith, snatch up that opportunity like a good investor. Don't waste it. Redeem the time that you have left. Why? Because every day and every hour is precious. It is so precious. Every day, every hour that you have left. Do not be lulled to sleep by all of the days that you have lived so far. And think, I have plenty of time left. It does not matter how I spend this afternoon. We have been lulled to sleep. You know, often us preachers say that we've always got to be ready. Jesus could come back at any moment or we could die at any moment. 
But what has every day in your life told you so far? Every day so far that you have lived in your life tells you that Jesus is not coming back today and you're not going to die today. Satan is lulling us to sleep so that we will let our guard down, so that we will be on a nice, what we believe is safe, comfortable road to hell. Don't believe it. Look carefully at your life. You can't get these moments, you can't get these years and these days back. So how will you use your time for the glory of God? How will you make it count? Now, this does not mean, don't hear this wrongly today, this does not mean you have to be productive and efficient every minute of your life. This does not mean you have to be a machine for God. It is not a sin to sit down and watch a ball game every now and then, or a movie, or to take a nap. It is not a sin to have a relaxing afternoon out with a friend. In fact, some of us in here need to hear that making the best use of your time means becoming less busy. Sometimes making the best use of the time means you need to get less busy. Because with all that we've got going on in our lives, sometimes you don't have time to even read the Bible or invest in your church family because I'm so busy, right? Sometimes making the best use of the time means doing less with your life. But what you don't want to do is come to the very end and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus looks you in the eye and says, what did you do with the life I gave you? And you respond to him, I got to level 112 on the new PlayStation game. What? Where he says, what what did you do with your life? And you say, I watched every episode of all the shows on Netflix. What did you do with your life? Well, I had a really nice boat. And I made sure that we logged lots of hours on the water. What did you do with your life? Friends, there is a proper place for entertainment and leisure. Don't get me wrong. These things are not sins in and of themselves. But there is taking a break. There is recreation. There is recharging ourselves. And then there is wasting your life with it. Verse 17 here says, don't be foolish. Don't be a fool who stands before Jesus at the judgment and realizes only then that you've wasted your life. Don't be a fool. Wise up now. Paul says in verse 16, we make the best use of the time. We're supposed to redeem our time for God. Why? Because the days are evil. The days are evil. Now, notice, this is not necessarily talking about the way things are currently in America. Right? Don't get your blinders on and think this was only written for this period of time today. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. The days have been evil ever since He wrote that the days have been evil probably ever since Adam and Eve and the first sin. But since the days are evil, no matter what time you live in, since the days are evil and we can be assured our days are, we've got to be wise. Notice he says, verse 15, walk not as unwise, but as wise. Don't be lulled to sleep. 
Don't be tricked. Don't be gullible. Jesus says to us, be as innocent as doves, but as shrewd or as wise as serpents in this world. Walk as wise. Don't be foolish. We've got to make the best use of every opportunity for God that we have. We've got to look carefully at our lives and decide that we're not going to waste the time that we have left. We're going to spend everything we've got for the glory of God and for helping others come to know him. Listen to Paul from another letter that he wrote to a different church, 2 Corinthians verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 15. In chapter 12, verse 15 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says to those in Corinth, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's what Paul says. I'm going to spend and be spent. I'm going to leave it all out on the field, so to speak, for your souls. And when it comes to the end of my life, I'm going to take my last breath and just leave it all out on the field and go to be with Jesus, knowing that I did everything that I can. No regrets, right? Don't waste it. The American dream is telling every single one of us that we need to make as much money as we can and retire early and go move off away from everybody we know to some tropical climate and enjoy the rest of our years just spending money and being comfortable and caring about ourselves. Don't buy it. Paul says, absolutely not. There's nothing in the Bible about retiring and stop caring about people. There's nothing in the Bible about I'm going to use the, the, the years that I have until retirement. And then once I retire, I'm done using myself, spending myself for the glory of God and the good of others. Don't get up into heaven and stand before Jesus and have nothing to show for the last years of your life. Spend and be spent for eternal purposes. Don't waste your life. The days are evil. People are going to hell. We only have one life and we'll never get it back. We'll never get the time back. Make it count for God. Make it count eternally. Don't spend it wasting time on things that will not matter for all eternity. Now, Paul gets practical in our text in verse 18. In verse 18, he gets practical. And he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. He's getting practical, a practical outworking of this idea that we shouldn't waste our lives being foolish because drunkenness is an act of foolishness. Drunkenness is an act of foolishness. Drunkenness is the exact opposite of making the best use of the time. It's wasting time. Why do you think they call it getting wasted? Wasting your time away. It's a sin against the Lord to get drunk. Now let's think about this for a second. What are the problems with this? A lot of people in this world are like, what's the big deal? What is the big deal? What are the problems With getting drunk, why is this a sin? Well, drunkenness fuels a habit and a lifestyle of self-indulgence, which is the very opposite of the habits that God wants us to build as Christians following him. 
The addiction to alcohol is a self-indulgent addiction, much like gluttony or pornography. It teaches us to feed our sinful flesh instead of to discipline it and to make it obey us as we live for the glory of God. Drunkenness makes you foolish. It is not just foolish as an act. It actually makes you act and think like a fool. It dulls your capacity to think and act in ways that would maximize your effectiveness as a worker for God. It makes you a fool. It fuels, drunkenness fuels sinful temptations like sexual immorality, anger, corrupt speech, and things like these. Just go through chapter 4. All of the, the sinful things of the flesh and of the old self that Paul talked about in Ephesians 4. Drunkenness fuels all of those things. When I was in high school and college, I was around drunkenness all the time. All the time. I was around it. But I was blessed to have been trained by my parents and the wisdom from God in Scripture. And those who were in my church as I was growing up, I was trained to see drunkenness for what it is. And so I never participated in it, even though I was around it all the time. I was trained to see it for what it really was. And that was stupidity. I watched people over and over again, willingly turning themselves into sloppy fools. And as I watched them, I thought, why would I ever want to do this? What are they thinking? Why would I want to willingly become what I'm watching right now? It's foolishness. Everyone was drinking and reveling in their debauchery and bragging about how much they had drunk And in high school, I had a front row seat to their stupidity and their debauchery, and it made me never want to do it. Now, I was an enabler. The reason I was around it all the time was I was an enabler. I was pretty much like for our high school. I was the designated driver. And so they knew that if we want to go out and party all weekend, all we got to do is call John and we can do it without worrying about driving. So I was an enabler, but as I did so, I watched it happen, and I looked, and it made me never, ever want to do it. It's foolishness. Drunkenness prevents you from doing what Paul says we must do here in verse 15. Look at verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. How are you going to do that if you're drunk? You can't. It's the exact opposite. It prevents you from looking carefully. Drunkenness is a sin before the Lord. Now, we must say, we cannot go so far as to say that all use of alcohol is a sin. We cannot say that. That would be legalism. That would be going beyond what the Bible says. We don't want to be like the legalistic Pharisees who made up all kinds of extra rules for people to follow. And then they laid burdens on people that God himself didn't even lay on them. And so we must never go so far as to say all use of alcohol is a sin. Jesus' very first miracle was turning water into wine. But the Bible is clear. Drunkenness is a sin. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. 1 Peter 4, verse 3 through 4. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, 
drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And then watch what it says next. Peter says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Some of us in here knows what it feels like to become a Christian and then to have our friends from our old way of life say, what happened? Why aren't you coming out drinking with us anymore? Because they lost their drinking buddy, right? Some of us know what that feels like. And the commitment that we've made to Christ means we can't. We don't live like that anymore. We don't give our bodies to sin like that anymore. This body has been bought with a price at the cross. And therefore, I am supposed to honor God with my body, 1 Corinthians 6, right? I don't fill my body with that stuff anymore. I fill myself with something else now. It's a different lifestyle, which leads us directly into our third point today, which is Paul's last little phrase there in verse 18. He says, do not get drunk with wine, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't be filled with wine. Don't be filled with alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is such an amazing command, such an amazing imperative that Paul gives to them and to us because... He's writing to Christians who already have the Spirit. He's writing to Christians. And when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit, right? This is a doctrine we can find all over the New Testament. When you are baptized into Christ, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. And so Paul is saying to Christians who already have the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. What is that? Why would he even say that? How does that make sense if we already have the Spirit? Well, what he means is that we can actually do certain things to have the Spirit flourish within us, fill us up more, to have him take a more active and present role inside of us. We can do certain things and live certain ways to have the Spirit fill us up in a greater way than just the indwelling of the Spirit for every Christian. Now, how does this happen? Well, we get a lot of help from this very book, Ephesians, back in chapter 3. I want to refer you back to that. If you've still got your Bibles open, or even if you don't, look with me back at Ephesians 3. And specifically, we're going to look at a little section, but I want you to see the end of this section, which is verse 19. Look at the end of Ephesians 3, verse 19, where Paul is desiring for the Ephesians that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. Really just another way of saying be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with all the fullness of God. So the question is, how does Paul get there? How do you get to that point that someone would be filled with all the fullness of God or filled with the Spirit? Well, the section that we're going to look at just briefly here is one that we we have a sermon on weeks ago or months ago now, verses 14 through this verse, verse 19. But here, Paul is praying for them. He's praying for the Ephesians. Notice verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And then look down after that, he says, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his what? 
through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so just from this, let me give you three quick steps, three things that we can do to be filled with the Holy Spirit as Paul is talking about here in chapter 5. How do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, pray for it. That's what Paul is doing. Paul's praying for the Ephesians to be filled with the fullness of God. We should pray for it for ourselves. Ask God to fill you with his spirit. Now, remember, God's not a genie. God's not a vending machine. This comes from a sincere heart that deeply desires to be filled to the brim with the spirit, to overflowing. But ask him with sincere hearts and a desire within you. If you desire it, ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Do you desire it? Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Some of you right now can feel that desire inside of you. Even as I speak right now, you can feel the desire. Yes, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What would my life be like if I was more filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, others, no offense, but some of you in here are are saying, what are you talking about? When's lunch? Right? Listen, if you desire this, God will honor that. If you don't desire it yet, Perhaps it is because you have not yet been born again. You have not yet come to know the joy of being saved in Christ Jesus. We'll get to that more here in just a second. So the first step would be to pray. Ask God to fill you with his spirit. The second would be to grow in your knowledge of God and the love of Christ. Notice how Paul mentions those things in chapter 3 here. Verse, verse 16, he says that, uh, no, verse 17 actually. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend, comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height and depth and length. And to know, to comprehend and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Grow in your knowledge of God and the love of Christ and so be filled with the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that inspired the words of Holy Scripture. And it is the scriptures that give us a greater knowledge of God and the love of Christ. So if you want to grow in your knowledge of those things, go to the Bible. Read the Bible. Spend time in the Word. Not just on Sundays, on your own. Daily. And grow in your knowledge of God. And so be filled with the Holy Spirit. And third, notice how he says in verse 17 that... Being rooted and grounded in love, you may do this. Being rooted and grounded in love. How are you rooted and grounded in love? The greatest way a Christian can be rooted and grounded in love is by being part of a local church, which roots us and grounds us in love for others and their love for us. The only way you can really be rooted and grounded in love is by being part of a family, a church family, where you give love and receive love regularly, 
regular fellowship with the local church is essential for this. And so, kind of tying this all up with a bow, going back to chapter 5, one of the things that this means when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, even though they've already got the Spirit, is that the degree to which the Holy Spirit fills your mind and your actions and your everyday life is up to you. It's up to you. This is not something we're passively waiting for, sitting back saying, and I wish, my, I wish God would fill me up with the Holy Spirit like he filled A.W. Tozer up with the Holy Spirit. Go read one of his books, you know what I mean. It's not passively waiting for it. We, we pursue it. We're running after this through prayer, through Bible reading, through being around other believers regularly, the degree to which the Holy Spirit fills your mind and your actions and your everyday life is up to you. For me, that was a revolution in my thinking, an absolute revolution. If you desire it, go after it, and the Lord will honor that. The Lord will honor that by giving it to you. And so, being filled with alcohol affects your mind, your body, and everything you do, but so also will being filled with the Spirit. It affects everything we are, everything we do. So instead of filling ourselves with all that other stuff, we're going to fill ourselves with the Spirit. We're going to indulge in the Spirit. God is encouraging you to indulge, to glut yourself, to gorge yourself on the Spirit, and so overflow, not into foolishness, but into wisdom and life and love for those around you, making the best use of your time, the time that you have left. There's a preacher who's dead now, told a story of an elderly man connected to his church many years ago. This is a man that the church had been praying for for years. He wasn't a member of the church, he was connected to the church. He was hard and resistant to the gospel. But one day, for some reason, he showed up to church. And at the end of the sermon, during the final hymn, to everyone's amazement, he came down to the front and he took the preacher's hand. And the preacher could tell right away this was going to be a long conversation with this man. So he dismissed the service and sat there for hours talking with that man on the front row. And as he did, God opened the heart of that man to believe the gospel. He wanted to be saved. And as he expressed that, he wept. But slowly the preacher realized these were not tears of joy. They were tears of sorrow. And as the tears came down his face, he kept saying in desperation and regret, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted my entire life. He found Christ. He found the treasure of all treasures. But it came so late in his life, he he regretted so much the years and years and years that he wasted. Don't waste your life. Jesus had approximately 33 years of life on this earth. He spent himself in service of God and others, literally spent himself to the very last. He had nothing left to give. One day he will return. 
And one day you will have to stand before him as he sits on his throne of judgment. And you will have to give an account for the life that he gave to you. The life that he entrusted to you. What account will you give? Perhaps more importantly, as you stand before him, will he know you as one of his servants? Matthew 7 says, there will come a day, judgment day, when some will stand before Jesus and to their surprise and utter horror will hear the words, I never knew you. Depart from me for all eternity. Will he know you when you stand before him? The ultimate wasted life is a life spent for the pleasures of self which are all temporary. And then an eternity spent away from the presence of the Lord in eternal suffering. Don't waste your life. Right now we're going to spend just a few moments in silent prayer. We do every week here at Columbia Christian. After we hear from God, we feel it's appropriate for, uh, for God to hear from us. Each one of us needs to respond to what we just heard, what God just laid upon our hearts. And so we want to give every single person a chance to respond to the Lord silently, individually, in prayer right now. After we pray, we'll come back and we'll have a time for anyone who needs to respond publicly to God's word to do so. But right now, let's respond to him privately, each one of us, as we pray.